Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. We are here for another fantastic episode with Tony from Skill Type. We're going to be talking about technology, developing tools of the trade, learning, adapting, and just all thing tech within the library space. I'm super excited to learn a little bit more about what they have going on over there. But before we get to that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout out and thank you to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week, our amazing partners we have in the community, starting off with Building 5, Belia Real Estate, Lake Men's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and you know our fits each and every week are brought to you by McClavey Limited. Thank them so very much for making this show possible. And without further ado, Tony, my man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, been quite a journey getting here, and uh, as I was mentioning in our chat, your name precedes you, and so thanks for having me on the show. Great. I hope good things. I hope my, my name good carries things. good words. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a a long history and you've got an amazing list of accomplishments that I'm eager to get into. So for those that may not be aware, who are you and what the heck do you do, man? Um, well, thanks for that intro. Um, of course, day to day, it doesn't feel that way, uh, but it's good to hear it. Um, you know, years of work kind of paying off, but um, you know, for those who haven't met me, I'm Tony Zanders. I'm a software entrepreneur. Uh, I'm a New Orleans native, uh, Baton Rouge transplant, and um, since 2015 have been um, raising my family here and um, decided to start my own company in 2018 after 12 years of selling software to libraries. Um, a lot of people are like, sell software to libraries? You mean the place that has books? And it's like, well, yeah, you know, they've made this transition into the digital age. Um, and unless you have children or you were recently in college, you don't really affiliate with the library too much. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to get recruited to this industry uh, younger in my career. Um, this was 2009. And so I was about um, 23 years old. And um, it's a $30 billion industry. Um, you have libraries in every neighborhood around the world. Every college or university around the world has one or many libraries. And this is very stable industry. And there's not a lot of players that provide services and tools and products to that space. And so it's sleepy and there's not a lot of competition. So um, I fell in love with it and um, I've been there since about 2009. Um, in 2018, however, um, I was having a conversation with a customer of mine and they were telling me some of the pain points they were dealing with that no one helped them with. And that was sort of the light bulb moment um, to make me start skill type. So you said you got recruited. Mm -hmm. How did how did that happen? What did you go to? Did you go to college? What did you go to college for? Walk us up to that recruitment point. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, born and raised in New Orleans, went to De La Salle, played basketball for four years, um, got recruited to play basketball in Pennsylvania, small D3 school called Washington and Jefferson College. Yeah. Um, bit, of, of this, bit of a drive. And that's the point. Um, <laughs> I could have went to, you know, schools locally, but I wanted to get as far away from home as possible. Why? And, well, I had only ever seen New Orleans. Okay. And um, I went on this recruitment trip and the whole campus was covered in snow. 
And if you've ever seen like, uh, uh, you know, just beautiful white landscape for the first time, you'll fall in love with it. Yeah, it's it's like the frozen water New Orleans is used to covering campuses. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, you don't have like this is a safe, a safe frozen water up here. Absolutely. And uh, and I don't know if they timed my recruitment visit that particular week, but it was the first snow of the year. And um, I remember calling my mom and dad and just saying, hey, th- this is where I'm going. <laughs> so you knew you wanted to get in the snow, get in the cold for some reason. Yep. And so how long were you at? Pennsylvania College. Uh, I was there 2003 to, to, to 2007, uh, graduated on time, and um, I studied philosophy and English. Okay. Uh, and so the liberal arts don't get a lot of credit for having value in the tech industry, but the fact is that about 40% of jobs in tech are non-technical. And so when you think about software sales, marketing, legal, support, um, there's a host of jobs that are needed to run a tech business. And um, my first job out of college, um, I'll back up one point. So I had a cousin that left Louisiana and moved to San Jose. And um, she's doing well for herself in the insurance industry. And um, the reason she went out there, this is a, actually a story that's good for, the, for, the, for our audience here. Um, our mutual aunt, my dad's sister, they were all born in Tangipahoa Parish, so right. a meet, right, and went to like Independence High, right, and okay. so, and so, but uh, my aunt's husband was in real estate, so in the eighties he bought a couple houses in San Jose, California. That's a bit of a stretch, real stretch, but that's a serious stretch. It's a serious stretch, but he was teaching himself Spanish in the eighties and wanted to get an edge as a real as a real estate agent, and so went to this market. And um, this was before Silicon Valley. So he got some pretty inexpensive real estate at the time. Very inexpensive real estate. It was what they could afford coming from, you know, Bugaloosa and these areas, you know, down here, southeast Louisiana. And the way they describe it is it was just garlic farms. Like garlic farms? Orange groves. Okay. It was just farm. Um it wasn't, there was this n- no idea of like silicon or, or, or computer chips or there was no tech. It was a, far, it was a farm town or farm The whole space. region. Yeah, the whole region. Yeah. Yeah. You had Stanford University. Right. But you didn't have a tech industry. And um, so they got in early. And um, we know sort of the, the story around Silicon Valley, how it, was, how it was born with those early companies, you know, like AMD and, 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 and Apple in the early days and, and IBM and others. But... Um, it, it wasn't until recently that it became known as, as Silicon Valley. And so my, my cousin, so getting back to how I got there. So my cousin graduates from UNO okay. and her, our mutual aunt's like, hey, you should come out to San Jose, um, look for a job. You have a college degree and so on and so forth. So she goes and um, she's now doing well for herself, like I said, in the insurance industry. So fast forward to 2003. Um, she's asking me, what are your plans after college? And, um, I was like, I don't, I don't have any. Um, and so she's like, have you ever been to California? Have you ever considered coming? I'm like, sounds awesome. Um, I'd love to come visit. And, um, they set me up, um, with an internship and actually two internships. And when I got there, they were like, all right, so we're busy. 
we don't have time to coddle you or anything. We have to go to work, <laughs> right? You, you, here is here here's your interview. Here's your interview. Go go. And love this. You know, thankfully I was I was able to get the job, but I had to figure out how to navigate. You know, San Jose, Santa Clara, and all those cities around there. So she got me. And one this was '07. This was so. This was uh, this was an internship while I was still in college. So this was '06. Uh, okay, so this is before like you could say, "Hey Siri, go bring me to this address." Yeah. Before this Siri, the, this is the and look at that. She's activating now on my phone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before Siri, um, maybe even before Google Maps, honestly, because they handed me a paper map. Yeah. With the bus routes. No. And so I mean there's a paper map. There's a paper map. <laughs> Blast from the past. Oh man. Okay, got it. And so paper paper map bus routes. Yeah. So I had I had one internship at one law firm because I was on the pre-law track. Mm-hmm. And it was at a law firm that partnered with her. And it was Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at this one law firm on what's called the Alameda. It's like a main drag in San Jose. Brings you right by like the San Jose Sharks hockey arena, right by like the downtown Greyhound, right? And then my Tuesday, Thursday internship, which was the second one. Uh, so I had to learn two bus routes. This was in a place called Santana Row. And random point here, this was the f- first outdoor mall that Perkins Row is modeled after. Okay. Did not know that. Real retail on the ground floor, living up top, right? Yeah. And Or office space up top. Right. And so... Um, so my, my second internship was in this really cool neighborhood, Santana Row, which is in San Jose, like high-end designer shops. And then it was at this boring law firm up on the second second story. And so um, so that's how I got the taste of California. I fell in love with the weather. Um, I wasn't paying rent, and so I didn't know how expensive it was. I was just loving it. <laughs> yeah, especially at that time, it was probably pennies to what people are paying nowadays in rent for that probably same exact space. Yeah, so when... Um, so my wife and I got, got married right after college. We both met in high school. We went to McMaine together. Okay. And, um, but when we went each step of the way, each apartment we rented, um, we eventually got priced out of that apartment. So basically we were at the, on this cusp of like, we graduated in 2007. So you're coming in on the housing crisis, right? So like 2008 and nine. Right. So rents are going up. And so we eventually had to keep going deeper into the Bay Area. So we started like right in the heart of it, right in San Jose. Eventually we had to go to what they call East Bay, okay. which is uh, Oakland, Berkeley. Yep. And we got a place in a town called Emeryville because it was cheaper than San Jose. But then after a year, our rent went up $400 in one year. A month or annually? Um, a month. Oh wow! It went from okay, like it went from like twelve hundred bucks a month to sixteen hundred a month. Holy smokes! And obviously our our salary didn't yeah, you, rise you, at you, that same rate. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And so we went deeper into the bay into a town called Walnut Creek, right? So if you look at a map, we're just basically You're going further, further and further, further inland, yeah. right? Which, um, and so. Um, so my commute's getting longer. And by this time, my job, I was working in San Francisco on 2nd Street near the Giant Stadium. Okay. Right? Beautiful neighborhood. And, um, but I now have an hour train ride each way, which I an learned hour? in big cities. Yeah, each way. I learned in big cities that's par for the course, right? If you want to be in New York, LA, San Francisco, you're commuting an hour each way. Or you're paying through the nose for a place to live close. Exactly. And, and so 
I actually learned to appreciate the hour commute. Gave me time to debrief, like reflect on my day. Like when I got home from work, I wasn't like thinking about work. I was mm-hmm. like fully unplugged. Um, but uh, so bringing all this back to how I got to libraries. So the startup I was working for was in higher education. So is that all that's out there is like startups at the time you were there? Large tech and small tech. Okay. Um, now, I mean, the Bay Area has two main interstates, mm-hmm. the 101 and the 280. So the 280 takes you through Stanford University and the 101 takes you through um, all of these, like the tech companies, right? And so basically every interstate exit has, no exaggeration, hundreds of software companies off of each exit. Off of each exit? Off of each exit. And these are various sizes or are these mostly smaller startups? Various sizes. Each interstate exit has its own global household name. So like if you get off of um, Lawrence uh, Expressway, which is a town called Sunnyvale. So let me start back. San Jose is where is the first exit in Silicon Valley. That's like the the OG Silicon Valley. Right. Um, Because that's an old city. And um, that's where eBay is. PayPal. Um, Those are your large like perennial tech companies. That are there, plus a host of other ones that I'm probably not um, remembering. You go up one interstate exit to Lawrence Expressway, and you, it's a town called Sunnyvale. Well, that's Yahoo headquarters. Okay. Right? You go up one more to uh, Cupertino, that's Apple headquarters. Oh my gosh. You go up one exit, and so you have this really large global multi billion dollar company off the exit, but then you have hundreds of other little ones. Yeah, they want to go where the where the where the knowledge is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. You go one further, you're in a town called Mountain View. That's the headquarters of Google. That's LinkedIn. Okay. Off in Mountain View, right? You go one more, you're in Palo Alto. Palo Alto is Stanford to the uh, west towards the water, right? And towards the east, that's now um, that's where Facebook headquarters is. Yep. And a bunch of others, right? I knew that one. I knew Palo Alto was Facebook. Yeah, that's Facebook. Um, I got to meet Mark Zuckerberg three times. Okay. Because the company I was working for in San Francisco, we were in higher education, right? But this company built apps on top of the Facebook platform. Okay. And so about once a year, maybe actually multiple times a year, Facebook would invite app developers to headquarters have some drinks, food, but they wanted to talk to you to learn about what was your experience like building apps on their platform. And so um, I have I have photos of, of me in meetings with, with Zuck. Um, and I was early in my career, right? And, um, but that's, so that's Palo Alto. You, you, go up, you go up one other exit. Um, you're in, um, you're either in Redwood City, which is like, um, Electronic Arts is headquartered there, right? You have um, AMD, which makes all the computer chips, right? right. And, and so you, you just you just keep going all the way to San Francisco, and that's where like Twitter is and Uber and right. So every single exit has these global multinational, multi-billion-dollar tech companies. Um, and um, funny story about Facebook. So when they first started, you I don't know how old you are, but it's, I don't know if you remember when it started off, it was only on college campuses, right? Right, yeah. And um, they eventually got outside of college campuses, but 
they didn't have a lot of employees. It was just a, a small team in downtown Palo Alto. And they were in these like, they would get like 10 desks in one little office space. And then they'd go across the street and get another 20 desks over here and then another like 30 over here. So eventually they took over University Ave in Palo Alto. And all the other local retailers were really frustrated because you know, these guys walking around, they're introverted, they have their laptops, they're like geeks, and they're, but they're rising the rents because they make all this money. They make and, so much money. <laughs> like, wait, like, how is this possible? How is this possible? And, and so the city of Palo Alto got really frustrated with them. And it just so turned out that um, Sun, uh, Sun Microsystems um, was shutting down. This was one of the old OG perennial Silicon Valley companies was starting to wind down and they had this huge campus yeah, right on the water in, in Menlo Park. And as that started to, they started to give up that real estate, Facebook was actually growing into that. And they, they finally left this sort of hodgepodge like, you know, sublet here, 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 here and got a, a proper campus. Um, but I saw all that and um, it actually gives me a part of my vision for what I think Baton Rouge can become. Yeah, we're right in the, the beginning phases of that. Nowhere huh. near nope. there, but with, a, what's that company that just came in that's going to get like 100, 200 tech jobs here in Baton Rouge? I don't, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. They, they made a big announcement. They're coming in and going to take up a bunch of office space downtown. Yeah, I'm going to have to, you're going to have to let me know that. Yeah, we'll, um, have, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in the comments of the show. Sorry, I don't, I'm yeah, not blanking yeah. on it right now. Because I straddle between sort of the, the New Orleans ecosystem, <clears throat> the Baton Rouge ecosystem, learning a little bit more about Lafayette. Um, but I think that Southeast Louisiana as a whole has an opportunity to, to coordinate a bit more on. Rural sourcing. Okay. Supposed to take, create 150 new tech jobs here in Baton Rouge. That's awesome. So they're moving right into downtown. Bring, bring it in. I yeah. mean, I, I love it. So now you've got... You've seen what Facebook can do. You've seen what Silicon Valley has to offer and how it grew. Walk us through then from there how you ended up getting back here. I mean, why would somebody want to leave Silicon Valley as you're watching it blow up and become what it is? Yeah, and, you know, it was already full-blown when I got there. Um, you know, it, it blew up in the dot-com era, right, when I was still in high school playing hoops at De La Salle. But, <laughs> but what, what the next wave of it that blew up when I got there was social media. Right. right, Web 2.0, and, and and that was brand new when I got there. And um, you know, as to why someone want to leave, well, you know, my wife and I are from the South, right? Like we love family, we want to kind of own property and have land and own a home, right? You know, this whole like you know renting forever and having roommates, right? That that's not really our American dream. It perhaps it's you it, know it's, the dream it's for some, some, yeah. But you can pay half the rent. And own three quarters of an acre to an acre here in Baton Rouge. Yeah, uh, which that you could pay in Silicon Valley. Absolutely, and um, and I so I think the conversation. Um, it, I actually skipped a small chapter. So the president from the company I was at left and went to an Israeli tech company that had an office in Boston. Okay, and um, this company called Ex Libris they invented library technology and so in the 80s they were the first one to take the dewey decimal card catalog right okay and put it online it's pretty 
pretty significant achievement there. Pretty significant achievement. <laughs> this was at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Okay. And the chief librarian there, who's also a technologist, invented this technology. And they eventually spun that out of the university, commercialized it, and started a company called Ex Libris that's now basically like the, the, the largest library software company in, in, in history. And um, they had a Boston office that they recruited our president to come and lead North America from. And um, he gives me a call. I remember this like yesterday. I'm walking around the financial district in San Francisco. I couldn't take the call at work, so I had to leave work. And I'm just walking around these tall buildings, and he's just telling me about this, this new thing and libraries and pitching me. And he's like, I want you to come and lead marketing for us. Okay, so you ran marketing at the software company yeah, you were at. I ran marketing and communications. Okay. And um, the only reason I did that was because I didn't study this in college. I studied, like I said, philosophy and English. Right. Um, so I know how to communicate. I know how to ask questions. And, um, but the, the, the job that um, I thought I would do really well in was an inside sales job in Mountain View at a company called simplyhired.com. Okay. So this is a search engine for jobs. You may have yeah, I've heard, heard of, of them. Yeah, yeah. like indeed.com, yep. but simplyhired.com, right? And our job there was to make 70 calls a day. The founders were these two really smart Indian guys, graduated from Cal, from Berkeley, computer science. They built some software and they put it inside of all of our phones. And they knew that if you just made the call and then faked it and like hung it up, that wasn't a legit call. So you couldn't like fake 70 calls. Yeah, I mean, that's a call every six minutes for a seven hour day. Yeah. You had to actually have a conversation or leave a voicemail. And it, it was timed. It was everything. And so so this was like pretty brutal, right? That's that's a, a, a tad bit on the what I would describe micromanaging side. <laughs> Just a smidge. We know how long your calls are. We know We're how long your calls are. We're listening. We know how many you made. We know if you didn't hit quota. So what would happen if you didn't hit quota? I mean, I, what happened to me? I got fired. So how long could you go not hitting quota before you got fired? A quarter. Okay. Yeah, so, every quarter. So they give they give you some time to fix it. Yeah, they give you three months. Yeah. So part of the rule of Silicon Valley was when it came to sales was every three months, every quarter, the bottom quartile of the sales reps get cut. To bring in new ones? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that was started by Oracle. Okay. Larry Ellison. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, like, so they're like the... They're 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 the founding like fathers of enterprise sales. Yeah, they predate Salesforce. They predate, and Cisco follows the same model. Bottom quartile gets like every quarter. You're up out the paint, and so I had the muscle to do that work because in college um, I earned some side money working at our phoneathon. So okay. I was like dollar for dollars calling alumni, like saying, "Hey, donate to us, donate to us," every night after basketball and that 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 builds some lessons that, that is some how you hear no what 99% of the time 99% of the time, roughly yeah, yeah. is like in sales no just means not now Ooh, I like that yeah you can't take it personal yeah and so that muscle helped me to get the job I wasn't motivated though 
Um, and I think what made me wind up getting fired was two factors. One, this was the downturn in 09. Companies were already looking to, to cut, right? Um, number two, I found out my passion was actually marketing, not sales. Yeah. Because storytelling is something that I love. And the marketing person I thought was pretty mediocre. And all of the collateral she would give us, I would want to fix it and I would make it better. And so Did you send it back to her. Well, no, I sent it to all my guys. <laughs> so, so you just you you didn't even like run it by her. You were just here. Here's the material, and you no, say it was working for me. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the script over. I'm gonna Jordan Belfort it, yep. and I'm gonna send it out to everybody else. Here's yeah. your here's your new script. Yeah, we're in the boiler room. Yeah, she's like in the ivory tower, uh-huh. and so they hand us down these materials, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, it's you not know? what you're experiencing when you call these people, right? I want to make it better. I want to improve it. And so, um, so then we got into a little beef and (laughs) no, so she, but she was cool with, with the, with the founders and stuff. And so that didn't work out well for me. Um, but I was, um, two weeks after that happened, um, I get a call from a, a CEO who I was doing some consulting for on the on the side because, um, our workday started at 9 a.m., mm-hmm. right? Pacific. Okay. And, but in order to make more money, I thought, well, what if I woke up at like 5 a.m. and started doing some uh, social media marketing, some consulting, and I found this, this company that um, was the one I wound up working for in San Francisco that was working with Facebook. They posted a, a, a to a Facebook group I was in saying, we need help generating leads. And so I was like, oh, I can do that. So I started waking up at 5 a.m. calling universities in the East Coast. And I was driving um, leads to their, to their company until about 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then I'd shower up and I'd go into the office for my, my, my nine to five, right? And he would send, they would send me a check, like a thousand bucks a month or just like for the like hourly work. Right. But I get laid off. And then um, two weeks later, I get a phone call from this guy, Michael Staten, right? And he's like, hey, Tony, you remember me, blah, blah, blah. You did the project for us about four months ago. And I'm like, yeah, Michael, hey, how's it going? And um, he's like, well, we just raised $3 million and we put it into our budget to hire you as our first marketing person. Okay. And I was like, I, I was in bed with my wife. It was like a Monday morning. And I'm like kicking her like, like you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happening. Know what's happening. <laughs> but I got to keep my cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, you know, while like, Michael. Hang on. Yeah, wife, was, just hit, hit me across the face. Just, just hit me across the face. <laughs> okay. Now, yes. <laughs> I had to keep my cool. I was like, hey, Michael, you know, um, you know, congratulations on the round, you know, you know really great news, you know, you know, really flattered you thought of me. Um, you know, just just really trying to like keep my cool. Really, I won't come for less than three and a half. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, long story short, uh, they they invited me to dinner. And I had um, they already knew my work because on that call, he told me and he said, you, you remember when you were like helping us generate leads for that webinar series? You single-handedly generated four times more than our whole team combined. And we don't know what you were doing. And I was like, well, Michael, you guys don't wake up until noon Eastern. 
Yeah. Noon Eastern is lunch. Nobody wants to take many calls after lunch. They don't get back until 1 Eastern, you know, 10 a.m. Pacific. You, like you just said, they're not really trying to take calls after lunch. But you only have three hours to reach them, right? Whereas I catch them right as soon as they have their coffee. And he was like, whoa, like, you know, because we are like earlier and we can call them. Like, and so I was, you know, so he hires me. But the one thing I you're, you're having me walk down memory lane here. I didn't have to interview with them because they knew my work, but I did have to do one interview. And this was actually pretty cool looking back on it. So um, they tell me you have to come and meet our lead investor. Fair uh, enough. And because a lot of the funds we're raising for this round is going to go towards hiring new people and th they want to know where the, where the money's going. And the lead investor was the Founders Fund. And so the Founders Fund was founded by Peter Thiel. Okay. Who's part of the PayPal mafia. Right. Started, you know, PayPal with Elon Musk. Yeah. And so that's right. And a nobody. Got it. Kind of a nobody. Yeah. Right. Might have heard of him. Might, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And so... Um, while I didn't get to meet Peter, um, a couple of his investors um, interviewed me at their at their office. And so their their office was in a, in a really nice neighborhood in San Francisco called the Presidio. And it's right on the water. And I show up. Um, Michael's like, hey, you know, good to see you, blah, blah, blah. Um, so um, now that you're here, they actually want me to leave. And I'm like, OK. And so he's like, good luck. I mean, I get it. I, I genuinely understand why they would probably want him to leave. They want to have an unbiased, uninfluenced take on who they're paying to come and run whatever division, your marketing division of the company. Yeah. No, and <clears throat> number one. And number two, I didn't have any of the markers and the social status that they look for. That's the currency of Silicon Valley, right? So right. You've ne you never heard of the college I went to, right? I don't have an MBA. Right. I study liberal arts. I didn't study computer science or, or, or business. Right. Yeah. And so there are certain things like I remember trying to apply for jobs at Facebook direct and their applicant tracking system. That filters all the resumes. Doesn't even pass you through unless you attended one of the whitelisted 50 institutions. So unless you are an alum of like, you know, the Harvards, the Stanfords, the University yeah, of Chicago, yeah, yeah. Northwestern. The, their Emory's. approved list of universities. Right. You don't get through. And so I, my resume never even got through uh, to Google or Facebook. I, I probably applied once a month. You could develop the software to apply every day. <laughs> right. Just write a script for it. Yeah. I didn't have those skills. I wish I did. <laughs> but it all worked out because I was able to be a part of companies that taught me a lot more. And so what I later learned was you learn a lot more at startups than you do at big companies. Right. They've kind of got the, all the, all the wheels are greased. Everything's running. You just kind of, they take out a cog and they put you in to replace that person there with these parameters to work within. Yeah. Whereas a new startup, they're like, we don't know. Yeah, sure. Let's you, try it. You got an idea? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. We just got to here. <laughs> We're not sure how to get to here. Yep. And it was always all hands on deck in a really cool way. And um, 
you know, looking back on it, most people that I personally know that work for large companies are bored out of their minds. Yeah. I mean, it's most like routine items, same thing day to day. There's not, I mean, because innovation is only accepted after it's been proven at large corporations. Whereas a startup, you could pull this idea way out of left field Mm -hmm. and be like, I think this might have a chance at working. And they're going to be like, cool, let's try it. Yep. And, you know, no idea is a dumb idea. Um, There's just this pile of work that needs to be done. And whoever has the most ambition can just take another task, take another task. Right. And and that's how I was able to make a name for myself was just sort of showing up before everyone else did. Right. Um, Leaving later than everyone else did um, and just sort of grinding my way into to accomplishment and um that's why when the president um uh, of, of our company left um he was like hey i want you to come with us you know we have a lot more money um you'll you'll have we didn't even have a marketing budget at uh the other company um we but at this new company i had a eight hundred thousand dollar marketing budget okay so not a bad marketing budget it was more than I ever had. And I was like, you know, I looked at all of the things that they were spending it on each year. And I was like, you know, this is a social media age, right? We're going to, we're going to change all this stuff, right? We're not going to keep spending $400,000 on the uh, exhibition hall for like the, you know, big booth and the tchotchkes. Right. Right. Um, and so, so just, just the ability to, to, um, I think developing self-confidence that if I haven't ex- done something before, um, I can teach myself how to do it and that that type of autonomy was rewarded. And that mentality too of instead of saying, I don't know how to do it, get somebody else to take care of it. It's, I don't know how to do it yet. I'll figure out how and then I can execute. Mm-hmm. That I don't care what industry, what job you have, what business you're in. If you have that mentality and that mindset from day one, my gosh, there's no ceiling for you because you're mm-hmm. not ever going to give the answer of, well, I don't know how to do that. It's, it's going to be, hmm, let me figure out how to do that, and then I'll get back to you. That's it. And I would sort of share that advice with any college graduate, any person like trying to figure out how to make that next step. So you, you're at these software companies. You're working in these budgets. At, at what point did you say, I'm going to go and be my own entrepreneur? So I'm in Boston now, and but I still have this startup bug. And anyone who's living in Silicon Valley for more than a month, there's a strong chance you're going to catch that startup bug. And um, because the coffee shops you're going to, like people are just on laptops hacking away at things. Like it's it just you just get curious. Like what are they doing? Right. Yeah. And and why are they so focused on this? What, what are you doing over there? Why yeah. why you got your big big headphones on? What you what you focus? What you what you yeah. plugged into? Exactly. Everywhere. It really doesn't matter. People are just trying to get log on to some free Wi-Fi or something and just like like build something, right? And so um, I caught the startup bug when I was there. Small story. Um, uh, my very very first job out of college, I. Um, was at this human resources consulting firm in Menlo Park. And um, I was just a paper pusher. And one day, the CEO was like, hey, do you want to come to a client meeting with us? And I was like, me? Come to a client meeting? Like, talking, talking about the guy behind me? Talking about, yeah, talking <laughs> about the guy behind me. And, and she's like, no, you. And I was like, yeah, this is exciting. And, um, and she was like, all right, well, we're going to leave in five minutes. And um, 
And so she's Don't like, you love that. Get invited to a meeting at the last second. Last second. Like, let's, like go. let's go. Let's go. And <laughs> to, to, to that point, um, I literally just get up and start walking. She's like, um, you don't have a notebook? And I'm like, no, why, why would I need a notebook? I don't, my job doesn't require me to have a notebook. So <laughs> she shuffles through all of her things and gives me this notebook. And the notebook has this inscription on it that says, um, TEC, um, International Organization of CEOs. Okay. And I was like, wow, it's leather, leather cover, gold, um, pages, it's a, it's a fancy notebook, fancy notebook. And, and I was like, can I have this? She's like, oh yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, sure. Whatever. <laughs> so, so I take You're like, notebook. I'm Googling this later for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I get it. And she drives me over. Uh, we, we drive to the meeting. It's at the original Pete's coffee, okay. which is on vine street in Berkeley. It's like the first one. It's like this iconic coffee shop. And we're waiting for our client who was um, a guy who worked for the Prudential, for the Pru, the bank. He was being laid off and they gave him an outplacement package because his base salary was uh, about $700,000 a year. And they paid for him to get hours with us to help him plan his next move as part of the severance. It's called out, like this whole outplacement service. Right? Yeah. And so he's meeting with us and we're walking with them, talking about his ideas and the types of things he wanted to do after his job at the Pru and stuff. And he's like, I want to become an entrepreneur. I have some ideas I want to start. And he's like planting these seeds and I'm just taking notes. I realized that the reason she took me to this meeting is because her client was black. Okay. And she wanted the only black person in her firm to go with her to have the client feel more comfortable. Like he was, there was some, some rapport there. Yeah, right? there was an instant connection. Exactly. Right. And otherwise, I would have been pushing paper. <laughs> you wouldn't have been writing on a leather bound note, gold, nope. gold trim tablet. No. So I instantly understand what's going on. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I'm taking notes and I don't have the car to ask questions or participate. I'm just like, you know, I'm just, I'm just taking I'm just notes. Here to right? take I'm, notes. I'm, I just turned 21. So you're like a baby. I just graduated college. I'm, I'm right, right yeah. fresh out, right? So, so towards the end of the meeting, she has to go to the restroom. Uh -huh. And I muster up the courage to look at you know, the client and I say, hey, um, I, was, I was really inspired by like, this entrepreneurship thing you're talking about. And um, I was wondering if we could exchange information because like, I just have a lot of questions. And, you know, and he's like, Oh yeah, 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 of course. Here's your, here's my card. And then she comes back. We just play it off like nothing happened. <laughs> and um, I wind up meeting him with him later, and um, we start talking about these ideas. And he's like telling me about like what he wants to do. And he winded up becoming a mentor to me, even still till today. Yeah. And um, uh, <laughs> I remember vividly. Um, I had this, this startup idea. It was called Dave and Goliath. It was a LinkedIn for college students. This was in 2007. Okay. And so um, 
I had known that my career services experience was kind of mediocre and that college students aren't really prepared, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I'm going to start the software company and we're going to target the, you know, we're going to be like the Facebook for colleges, but for like the professional network, right? So you thought of LinkedIn. Yeah. But because LinkedIn wasn't focused on colleges at that point. And so (laughs) I was doing all this research and, you know, the internet said, oh, you need a business plan. You're like, what's a business plan? <laughs> what's a business plan? And so uh, I winded up making this uh, 70-0 slide presentation. And it's a bit more than what's recommended <laughs> within a presentation. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you there, Tony. That's, that's just one or two more slides. Um, and it, was, this a, was this a four-hour presentation? I didn't time it. I send... <laughs> I send this oversized email to to my guy, my mentor. Right, right, right. And I promise you, this was the thing that has me in entrepreneurship today. Rather than laughing me out of the house, right, and just saying, what a goofball. Yeah. Like 70 slides. Like, who does this? He handled that interaction with such grace. Like, he saw that I was young, I was green, and I just, I didn't know any better. Like, I didn't come from entrepreneurship. He had so much information to give. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, and, and so he met, he got it. He was like, thanks for sending this over. Let's meet, you know, at my place, blah, 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 blah. So I go over, I'm like, yeah, come meet. I send him the deck. You know, he loves it. He slides. loves it. He, he loves, loves it. it. He loves it. He wants me, he wants me to pitch it to him. <laughs> and I get over there and he just very, very gently like lets me down. Like, like, you know, we got to get this to about 10 slides. Right. And but he did it in a way that didn't discourage me. It didn't like right. kick me, you know. And um, and that moment was a make or break moment for me because I already had imposter syndrome, right? Like when you're moving around the valley and you you didn't go to Stanford or Harvard or you don't come from Google or Netflix or Apple, people really disregard you. Like the currency out there is is um, it's more around you know your education. It's like your resume. Your resume is your currency. That's it. And um, so so that moment gave me the the confidence to keep going. And, and so that was my first sort of entrepreneurial moment. Um, fast forward to Boston. I wasn't making 70 slide pitch decks anymore, but um, I was able to. Um, I had a, a new idea for a company that winded up getting funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I was building this second startup after hours, after I would get off from my, my library job. And um, that was a really precarious thing because I didn't want them to find out that I was building it. Okay. And you had somehow already gotten funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Well, not already, but as I was building it, I got the funding and they needed me to fly to Mountain View, California to Firefox headquarters, you know, the web browser, yeah. for this big kickoff for all the grantees. Cause we got, I got a hundred thousand dollars and I'm a part of this cohort. And, um, it was this, this, uh, competition called the college knowledge challenge. And so we, I won this competition and, um, I got to figure out a way to, to tell my, my boss, I need to take off work, um, for like four days. And so I just call it a vacation. Right. And I go to Mountain View, I'm working, but they wind up like, taking photos at the event and like 
putting it all on social media and like saying congratulations to our latest cohort of founders like oh no and it was like facebook and firefox and the gates foundation like some major names so it went pretty wide yeah and so (laughs) so i get a call from from my boss and um he brings me into his office so he's like so so what what's this um what's this startup you're doing and you're like um I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. But no, I but I had to, you know, I was like, I just like straight face, poker face, like, oh, it's called Applyful. You know, we're solving this, blah, 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 blah. You know, next question. And because that wasn't his actual question, right? His actual question right. was, what are you doing, like building an entire company, like as I'm paying you? That, like, that was his question. Yeah. Why am I funding your company? Basically. And I was like, well, and eventually we got to that. And I was like, well, you're actually not. You know, my performance is pristine. No tasks are late. Projects are managed. Budget's good. Leads are being generated. Right. Like this is some, this is a, this is a side project. It's yeah. a hobby of mine. I, I'm I bored. Love, I'm bored with your job. Basically. <laughs> right. And there wasn't anything he could do, but it certainly created some tension. Yeah, bosses generally don't like um, two things, stealing and moonlighting. Yep. And even though I'm sure it was probably different than what you were doing for him, and or was it? Was it, I mean, was it a competitor? Was it different? Completely different. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's not moonlighting, but to them, and that, that, that mindset is, as an owner, as a boss, could be viewed as, well, you're not fully devoted to me. That's right. And I'm paying you to be fully devoted to me. Yeah. And in my mind, as a millennial, I'm like, I can do this job in my sleep. Yeah. You're not engaging me enough, you know? And I wanted to be a part of something mission-driven and larger, right? And, and you know, these are the traits of the millennial generation. And um, <clears throat> so now we have this awkwardness. And I realized that my time at this company is kind of coming to an end. Um, I didn't get fired, but... I need to figure out what the next move is going to be. Um, I was in a dilemma with that startup because the product was catered towards first-generation college families who didn't have money for you know a fancy college tour or to hire an admissions consultant, right? And so I built this software platform where we were aggregating everyone's college research and putting it into one place. And when that class of students matriculates into college, we now have all this data from, say, the class of 2008. Right. And we wanted to pass all that data to the class of 2009. Say, hey, don't start from scratch. If you're researching colleges, leverage all this data from the previous class. And you can search it by, like, your your demographics to say, like, I want to figure out what were the top college choices for, for, you know, Young women who like soccer from the southeast, whatever your demographics were, right? So, yeah. But I didn't want to charge these families. Yeah. I also didn't want to sell their data to advertisers. So you wanted a, a freemium of some sorts. Of some sort. And I didn't have. The, I didn't even have that word. Right. Um, and so I winded up having to close it down because we, we we ran out of money. We we accomplished some cool things. We signed a partnership with MTV. We got we had about twenty thousand users, um, but the business model never matured. So I had to st- spend that down, learned a ton, 
now I'm back to my, my library job. And um, my dad back home, he's living in Baton Rouge now, actually, because after Katrina, they, they settled here. Um, he had a small cancer scare. Um, and I realized that I was out of touch with home, with family. I was just chasing money, really just trying to build my career and get after it. And um, that was like a blow to me. Right. That I had no idea this was happening and I was like not even plugged in. And so I told my wife, you know, hey, we should probably try to get home like, and, and try to do something from home and, and see what the economy is like in Louisiana and software. And But I'm not in oil and gas. I'm not in real estate. I'm not in any of the traditional industries. So I had to figure out where to go here. Right. And this was in 2014. Okay. And so... Um, <clears throat> There's a, a, a guy named Matt Candler in, in, in New Orleans. Um, he started an organization called 4.0 Schools. It's a, like an incubator for EdTech founders. And they were looking for a head of marketing and communications. So he, uh, I apply for that job. He flies me down. I have a good interview. I get that job. And so we're living in New Orleans. And um, the reason why we wanted to move home was because I wanted to take my job from Boston, the library job, and do it from here. But that guy said, no, I'm not letting you. Remote work is not a thing. Remote work's not a thing. Yeah. It's not a thing. And so you got to, you know, find another job or stay. Tough luck. And it wasn't a decision. Gosh, for that me. is not, that's not a good, it's not a good way to operate at all. No, you know. Because if they stay, you're ill towards him and if you go there's an ill separation yep it, yeah it's it's kind of tough it's like an ultimatum it was an ultimatum for sure my wife and i had already made the decision to move home so it wasn't a debate so i was yeah. like all right well appreciate all, all you've done got to find out what's next and so um got a job moved home and um about nine months into that job um i get a linkedin message from um, another company in libraries that said, um, and I've never met this person from a can of paint. Um, um, Hi, Tony. Um, we are well aware of your accomplishments. Um, we have a very unique opportunity we've created for your skills. Um, if you're interested, please give me a call. Here's my cell number. Um, and I did my research. This was the number two person in a, in a $3 billion company. I respond. And we have a three-hour phone call on a Sunday evening. And he was like, um, you don't have to tell me what you make. We've done our research. And we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse. But we want you to join our company. And... We think that this role is uniquely crafted for, for your skill set in libraries and in technology. And, and so um, I, they flew me up to Boston. Um, they said you can work from anywhere except Antarctica. Okay. Okay. That's reasonable. I think it's reasonable. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty reasonable. <laughs> and which was appealing to me because that last company gave me, offered me an opportunity to, to become an expat. And I could move my family to Jerusalem, to the headquarters, because yeah. I was doing really well. That guy said, 
no, you you got to stay here. I don't want to, I'm not giving you to corporate. Right. And so, um, so that was really appealing. And so, uh, so this next job I was, um, in libraries now, but I had clients in 30 countries. And so I was flying out of MSY. I was in Europe once a month, Asia once a month, um, for about three years, learning about libraries around the world. And it was in that job where, um, I had my light bulb moment that this is a, a global industry and, um, I want to I want to create something here. Yeah. And so then skill type was born. Skill type was born. Um, not immediately, though. The problem that I wanted to solve was what I discovered. Right. That libraries, we all know as places with books right. and magazines and things. And but now audiobooks. There you go. Ebooks. Yeah. And so this collection of information. Right. And most of the products and services that sort of feed into this, this, you know, $30 billion industry are products and services to help manage the books and the information, the collections as they call them. But the most important piece of that puzzle are actually not the content. It's actually the people. Okay. Cause it's the trained information professionals that turn that collection of information into a library. There's a difference between a library and a warehouse of books. Yeah. And the only difference is that you have librarians there. They know where everything's at in the warehouse. They know where everything's at in the warehouse. And if something's not in the warehouse, they know where to get it. Okay. And that profession, that, that group of trained um, licensed professionals is going through the, the biggest transition in the history of, of the craft of librarianship, right? Librarianship is over 5,000 years old. You've had libraries in, in, in Alexandria and in, in Greece and Egypt, right? This is the first time they have to reimagine their work in a digital environment. Yeah. It's no longer people saying, oh, hey, Patty G, I'll be right back. They walk over to a shelf, they pull the book, they hand you the book, right? right. That's no longer the interaction with um, a library. It's all digital now. And that means that all the skills are changing. Yeah. And so when you walk to, you know, Goodwood, they're one of our customers. Shout out to, to EBRPL and the Goodwood branch. Um, you don't even have to walk in. In fact, I can pull out my phone right now and I can text we can text our librarian at Goodwood with any request and you will get a real text message from a real person telling you, you can come and pick up this book or you can check out this magazine or here's a link to something to download. They have all sorts of services, right? You don't have to physically walk in, but most of the service now is a software experience. It's a digital experience, right? Right. And so... This is this massive shift in the workforce. And there's also the workforce is aging, right? And um, so they're not only having to serve a younger audience and in, 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 um, in market, um, but the, the, the little work they're doing is, is different. And so skill type is this software platform that reskills, upskills library workers, um, we do it using data. And so um, 
take, I'll, I'll stick with uh, East Baton Rouge Parish Libraries for a moment. They have 430 librarians across 36 branches in the, in the parish. And our software creates personalized training plans for all of them. The leadership team can see their skill gaps in real time. They can see people making progress and, and help them at the, sort of the point of a need. And our mission is really just to make sure that this profession of, of, of information shepherds, right, is going to be around in the next 10 years, 20 years. Um, we think that a world that's solely driven by Google and Amazon and AI and for commercial profit is not good for us. Um, for a number of reasons. Uh, but the library is a free space for anyone. Yeah. And, you know, when you go and you search for information, you're not being bombarded with ads. If you search for something on Google and you're trying to get an unbiased opinion, you won't because the first page is going to be whichever advertisers had the most money to show up. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it, I see it in my own profession when I look, try to do something and do some research and I want like, you know, as, as a CPA, I want an IRS answer. And it's six different third parties giving their opinions and their perspectives before I get to law and the rules. I almost got duped today. Random task I had to find a W-9 for a, the, the company. And Ooh, that's a good one. I type in just IRS uh -huh. W-9 thinking I'm about to, you know, just download it and type it up and, you know, do the e-signature e or whatever. But the first five links on Google are deceptively similar to the actual W-9 form on irs.gov, but it's actually not. It's like this weird URL, like irs-us dot something, and it says W-9, but then in small font it says sponsored. Or They hide those sponsored really well. Really well. Ever try to get EIN? No. You can get a free EIN from the IRS website. Well, oh, I actually have. Yeah, you're right. But there's gonna, 10 links of sponsored people that are charging $300 a pop. And I'm sure they're raking in cash oh from gosh. unsuspecting you Google users. If you don't know, you don't know. And now, now that I do know, I, you, you curtail your search. Mm. So now I do IRS EIN application. And now it's, it's what I need. It's and what then you if need. you really know how to get in the tactical of Google searching with parentheses, quotations, Boolean. and whatnot, yeah. you can get exactly what you want. But yes, to the average person, do I need an EIN for my business? Oh, we will help you get it. Anything you need, we'll file for business, and then next thing you know, seven hundred fifty dollars later, small modest fee, seven fifty. Yeah. yeah, right. Here's here's everything you need. And so the library is uh, this place you can walk into right now, anytime, and um, again, just get. You know that they're not going to charge you money. They're not going to ask you what's your last name, like what zip code you're from, or like what, whether you have a degree or not. They're just going to help you find that information you need. And um, I remember when we were first building SkillType, we couldn't afford office space. Um, we built this company out of my garage to start because it was COVID and it was in a pandemic. You couldn't go to these large spaces, right? right. But once we could start going again, the first place we started having our meetings and our working sessions was at the Blue Bonnet branch of, of, of EBRPL. I love it. I've made many a yearbooks as a homeschooler there. You were homeschooled? Yeah. No way. Yeah. My kids are homeschooled. Love it. It's fun. 
Let's go. <laughs> I mean, look at you now. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like you never know. You never know. But yeah, we used to use a blue bonnet library. We would have a we would have a room in there. We would hook up a computer to put on the projector, and we would actually create our yearbook on a yearbook editing software in the library. That's awesome. So yeah, very, no fees like no no fees no nothing. All first you do, come all first you serve. Do, no, there was there was a booking procedure. You could book a room online. Yep. And so you could go on the website. You could book a room, and we would block the room out. We would bring in cookies or whatever, and that would we would have the room for an hour. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And that we have p- pictures from, you know, 2018, 19 whiteboards and where we're really like mapping out what skill type is going to become. And, and so um, I tell people all the time that like, you know, it's the free it's and I don't, I don't even like using the word free, despite the fact that it's free. It's the taxpayer funded. We work. Yeah. It's the taxpayer funded Netflix. You're you're paying for it. You're already paying for it. Yeah, regardless. If you want to say it's a pay, I I pay for this. You can say, oh, I rent this space. Yeah. Technically, technically, if you're a property taxpayer or you hit whatever tax they get their money from, you're paying for it. Yeah. And there's just, I was talking with with Brian Haldane about this the other day about the free spaces that Goodwood Library has and about the meeting rooms that they have and how they're pushing. You've got boardrooms, you've got smaller conference rooms, you've got one on one rooms, you have shared space. And there's just this stigma about having a business meeting in a library. And I, I don't, if somebody said, hey, meet me, in the, meet me in the library, my first thought is, oh, this person is gritty. This person knows how to, he knows what's available to him. That's right. They know what resources are open to the public and that they can utilize. It, Goodwood Library has, I don't know if it's Goodwood or downtown, they've got podcasting studios. If I had to guess, I would guess it's Goodwood just because it, it is it's larger. Yeah. Um, it's multiple stories. That's a national award winning library. It, it won the top library in the country. And I think Breck just won some top awards as well for our park system. For the park system. Yeah. No, Baton Rouge is it, man. I have a surplus view of the city. We could live anywhere around the world, but we choose to live here. You've and been all over the world. Been, I've been to Europe, Asia, different Africa, different places, uh, Canada, all across the U.S. And um, I was really glad that I was here during the pandemic. Yeah. And um, obviously, Baton Rouge has room for improvement. And but as does any space, as does any space, but. Um, it's really exciting to be, as you said at the beginning of, the, of, our, of our chat, you know, to be in on a city um, that's coming up, right? And, to, and to, to be in early and to see the potential. Yeah. Um, you could go to Austin now, but it's kind of late and it's kind of pricey. Same for Atlanta, same for Seattle, right? Um, and, and so I'm really interested in connecting with people who have this, this surplus mindset about, about our city, um, that's why I like Kenny Wen and, and the work he does. And, um, you know, people who are complaining about Baton Rouge, honestly, leave. Um, it might not sound good, but we need to make space for people that that want to be here. And yeah. resources need to be pushed to folks who want to do constructive things to help keep our grads here and so on and so forth. Yeah, and that they know what we can be, what we can become, mm-hmm. and they see the potential here. Mm-hmm. They don't come here expecting everything to be perfect. They come in with an understanding mindset and also an openness that they can be a part of it. They Mm -hmm. can be a part of the solution to get Baton Rouge to where we all know it can get to and understanding that there's enough to go around for everybody. That is a mindset that, you know, 
when you switch to that, well, just because Tony comes in and gets this round of funding from X, Y, and Z people, well, that must mean I'm like, there's nothing left. But no, there, there is so much out there. If you take the time to look and you do the hard work that's necessary to get it, it's there. And you're right. In Baton Rouge, there's no prerequisite of having to go to Harvard, Yale, insert big college here. If you have a strong work ethic and you've got the ability to go forth and do and execute what you say you can, mm -hmm. that goes miles comparatively to something good on a piece of paper that says, here's my resume and all of my list of degrees. Yeah. Because that just and tells me you can study and pass a test well. That's it. Uh, that, that's part of our ethos at skill type. Like we don't even have space for our users to list their degrees. We really just get down to the skill and the competency. And um, I feel like it levels the playing field. Um, but getting back to that point, though, around, you know, Baton Rouge versus everybody, uh, just to kind of use that phrase, the grass is not always greener. Like, you know, people talk about, oh, California, the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, this, this and that. Like when you look at um, what's happening in San Francisco right now, I don't know if you've, you've checked the news. I don't know if you've checked. But very little bit enough to know it's bad. It's bad. Like the, the grass is not always greener. Um, same thing in Los Angeles and a lot of these cities that are iconic places. I'm not taking anything away from these places. Yeah. But if you talk to like the average citizen in these places, the quality of life since the pandemic in most of these places has not returned back to sort of pre pandemic norms. There's a lot of extremes and basic services don't get offered in many cases. There's, 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 you know, not a lot of safety. Um, there's, you can't enjoy the parks in a lot of these places, right? Um, won't get into the, all the reasons why, but just making the simple point that, mm -hmm. um, Maybe folks who have this sort of deficit mindset towards Baton Rouge should just travel a bit. Get out there and see what's available to you. Mm -hmm. Go go where you say you want to go and try it find, out. You might find the grass is dying. Yep. And literally, in some cases, like yes. California's in a drought. <laughs> literally and physically, yes. But it, it, it's true. And, you know, that was... Part of the reason why I wanted to start the show and bring on great entrepreneurs like yourself is to share those experiences, you know, and having your experience specifically with how much you've traveled, where you've been and where you've lived. And for you to come in and make such a statement of what Baton Rouge can be and what you're seeing and what you're doing to make it that is just it's, it's why I started this is to get mm. those stories out there to showcase to people wherever they're listening to this from or watching this from. They go, maybe I should actually maybe reconsider either A, not leaving, or B, maybe coming here from wherever I'm at because it, it's it's happening and stuff is going on and making improvements each and every day. There's there's enough space. Um, you know, I have um, employees in New Orleans. We have an office space there across from the World War II Museum, right on, on sort of Camp Street, Andrew Higgins, like, you know, warehouse district. But our headquarters is in Baton Rouge, and we're going to be creating more jobs in Baton Rouge than anywhere else. And I don't really tell my folks that you have to live here, however, right? Like Baton Rouge is not for everyone. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, my framework is you know, I, I became an adult and a professional in, in the Bay Area, right, which is a region. And so uh, my whole mindset is like 
well, if that region, which is like a three-hour radius, you can work in Mountain View where Google is, but you can live. You don't have to live in Mountain View, right? Right. And most people don't. And so the same thing here, you know, we're going to be headquartered in Baton Rouge. We're going to create jobs here. But some of our folks want to live in New Orleans. They like the walkability. They like the, the quality of life, the nightlife. Um, then we have other folks that want to live in Baton Rouge, right? And I don't want our, our employees at skill type to have to choose. I like to present like those wealth of options, right? And so one of my big things is, you know, now that the cities have to embrace this regional mindset, because if you grew up here, you know how parochial we are. Um, New Orleanians don't like Baton Rougeans. Baton Rougeans look down on New Orleanians. Then the folks in Lafayette think we're all think know, we're all crazy. <laughs> we're all crazy. And you know, it's and, like and I, then I, North Louisiana is just like we're gonna stay. Just, we're gonna here. stay away. <laughs> and. I get it, you know, and there is there's a fun rivalry built within it, right? But it's hurting us economically. And I'll give just a practical example, right? Um, the biggest complaint we hear in Baton Rouge is we can't retain talent. Students graduate from Southern LSU, BRCC, and they're now employable and they leave. And what Baton Rouge, what I what I haven't found Baton Rouge does well, or any of these cities do well, is say that Baton Rouge college grad can't find a job from a Baton Rouge employer. Very rarely, if ever, does the people counseling that grad say, well, before you jump ship and go to Texas or go to Georgia or go to wherever, I've already put in a call with our, our friends in New Orleans and I want you to spend a couple days there with the, you know, whoever, career services, economic development, whoever, and they're going to connect you with some of the companies there. So just before you just leave the state. All right. That doesn't happen. No. Same thing in New Orleans, right? High potential Tulane graduate, UNO grad, computer science, business, whatever. If they can't get a gig within three months of graduation from a New Orleanian employer, they'll just say, oh, well, we're, we're happy you graduated. We're going to. So long as you get a job, we're going to count you as, uh, you know, that employment rate for our college, right? Great. Right. But we would let you leave the state before we would call our friends in Lafayette or Baton Rouge and say, hey, this is a high potential student, right? They're studying engineering or whatever. We don't want them to go to Texas. <laughs> can, like, can you talk them through some of the employers' relationships you have? We don't think as a team regionally. Yeah. And... So we're getting picked apart, right? Like because we're competing with some actual regions, we're competing with the with the Dallas Fort Worth metroplex. It's like it's like fifteen cities, <laughs> billions of dollars, <laughs> and Baton Rouge is like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go toe to toe with the region with somebody forty five miles away, <laughs> right? Same thing in Atlanta. Like we're, we we no, no city here is gonna go head to head with a region yeah we have to present ourselves as a a a, a, a triangular multi-city you know multi-parish region right we got to be the boot got to be the boot and we got to show everybody that the boot is collective and collaborative across every world across every facet and in every industry and really get at the student level 
in front of emplo- potential employers. That's right. I mean, right now I can't tell you one company that I know the owners or I know the people working there that aren't looking to hire people. Like it's there's we're experiencing a massive shortage mm-hmm. because people are are exiting. Mm-hmm. They're going elsewhere because they may take two seconds and not find a smaller company that may not know how to connect to a university. They may not know how to publish a LinkedIn post to get that that potential candidate, but that's where the candidates are looking. And so for me, my biggest thing is always, where are the eyeballs? I want to get in front of the eyeballs. I don't want people to have to come and find me on where I call the shots. Right. I want to get them where they are. And so that's why the show's everywhere. Because I don't care what platform you use, I figure it out, and I'm going to be there. And you're going to see me. And to me, businesses have to shift their mindset to be that. We want to be wherever the eyeballs are, mm-hmm. not specifically on our landing page and force people to come here. Because mm-hmm. now you're taking a hundred lane. It's like that picture in, uh, I think it's some country in Asia, mm. where they have 80 lanes and they mm. merge them down to five. Mm. That's what companies are trying to do. You've got all these different pathways and roadways, and now all of a sudden you're trying to shift everybody down to your website where you've got one job posting. Yep. It's it's mind boggling. Yeah, and it, this is actually not rocket science. Like I've I've heard some really smart people in some rooms describe this as this impossible problem, and there's just basic blocking and tackling like that we're not doing. I remember last year, I was speaking to some a room full of computer science grads at LSU, and they were it was a panel of some entrepreneurs, and really sharp students. They're building companies, they're starting apps, they're like doing all these things. And one of the questions at the end was, you know, how do we get plugged into like this ecosystem? Like you're, you're a startup founder and you've raised money and how do we get plugged in? I was like, well, um, how many of you are familiar with the New Orleans Entrepreneurship Week? No one raised their hand. This is, this is about 60 computer science students at, at our, our, the largest university in our state. And no one knew that there was five to six days worth of events focused on startups, investment that was actually happening that weekend. And so I, I, I answered, I was like, well, I'm actually leaving here right now to drive to New Orleans for this, this conference. And there's this big pitch night. There's a startup that's going to win $400,000. Like it's, it's this exciting thing. And no one heard of it. And but did they know of brew? I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know if they knew of brew. Let's assume they did. Do the Tulane students know about brew? That's what I'm, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's right. what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, is, is the New Orleans Entrepreneurship Week stopping their parameter of where they're posting about stuff and pushing stuff 20 miles outside of New Orleans? Yeah. Because then if it's not the 45 or 60 to get to Baton Rouge, nobody's going to hear about it. Right. And I know last year for sure there was virtually no communication. This time, the New Orleans Entrepreneurship Week, which was maybe a week ago or two weeks ago, um, had some pretty good representation from from Baton Rouge, from Lafayette. Um, and I think Bruce coming up in a maybe about a month or three weeks. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's soon. Soon. So we'll see um, if they have some regional representation. But um, we're tripping over our own shoelaces here. Like... <laughs> We're all on the same team. Right. And there's no big boogeyman <laughs> that's like stopping us from 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 doing this, right? Like yeah. um 
I push back on the idea that it's like, oh, Louisiana is so racist and or there's these big like existential things stopping us from growing. No, 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 no. Yeah. This is like basic. That stuff might have been an issue in our parents' generation and, and grandparents. But now we're we're just in a different generation and um, we have an opportunity. Um, and when I say we, I'm looking at me and you. I'm not even looking at some other group to come in and uh, to, to do what you're doing now. This podcast, right? Um, like you said, meeting people where they are um, instead of waiting for someone to come and fix it. Yeah. I mean, you can sit around all day and wait and say, oh, you know, I think if somebody came in and just did this, it would be really great for this city. And then you just sit on your back porch and you just look out and you just, that's all you do. Rather than doing that, you say, okay, this would be a great idea. How can I start to get there? Because you have to also understand you're not going to be able to do something drastic overnight. I think that's where we also fall short. Mm -hmm. We want every inch of roadway to be fixed tomorrow. We want all traffic lanes to be fixed tomorrow on our commute. We don't understand that stuff takes time. And we will complain the entire time it takes to build it. And as soon as it's done, oh, it's about time. It's about time. It's about time. And, and we, we don't have yep. the patience and the understanding within to recognize that good things come to those who wait. Mm -hmm. And we just have to be patient that whoever's doing it, so long as something's being done. If, some, if nothing's being done, be like the guy that I saw today and plant a tree in a pothole. Like, I saw Do something like that. I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I don't know if you saw this is going viral. Um, hire his own people to to get the uh, black top and fill up the pothole in his neighborhood because the city didn't do it. Uh, and you know, I, I I always go back to that that story about my aunt. You know, like she told me like. Silicon Valley is now this world-renowned place, but it it wasn't always that. That was it. Just took one generation. Yeah, people have this notion or this thought that when they walk into a place like that, I'm going to open the door and say, "Here's a check for a million dollars. Do what you want to do." And maybe someone's experienced that, but maybe. no one I've ever talked to. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. And and just as long as it took. Uh, and it wasn't actually that long when we zoom out, right? Um, when I drive and I make that commute once or twice a week, right? You know, it's mostly just green. You know, you're passing up Sorrento, you're passing up Laplace, you're passing up these places, right? And um, that's what the Bay Area was like in the 80s. There's nothing there. It was a sleepy little farm region. Uh, you had a major university. You had San Francisco, which was established, but nothing tech related. It was just like this cultural epicenter. Um, just like we have New Orleans that's old, you have Baton Rouge. But in between is, is I think, really where the opportunity is. Yeah, and I think that we as a community, as a collective, have to recognize that it starts with us taking small steps each and every day to get to the point where we can look back and say, oh, remember when... That Sorrento exit had like a gas station, you know, yep. one one gas station, but it had the best crackling ever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the gas station. Yep. And then you're like, look at what it's what it's become. Look at all yep. these areas. And then you have the people having this same conversation, maybe 20 or 30 years, whatever it takes. Yep. You know, I saw on y'all's website, y'all are building a, the future of libraries for 2050. Yep. Right. And I love that mindset. Not that it will take that long, mm -mm. but just looking that far ahead 
and having the understanding and self-awareness that you're not going to create it for yourself tomorrow, but it's going to be for those to come. So we've got to kind of start wrapping up. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate your time, Tony. Thank you for making this happen. I Same. know we we had to we had to push some schedules together, and it was a blast getting there. And I'm glad we got to talk. And I really appreciate you for sharing your story and everything, man. I'm excited to, you know, see what we can do to make this place a little bit better. You know, thanks to you for doing this. Um, I think your show and the mindset you have um, is exactly what we need. It all starts with a conversation. Yeah. And so to conclude our conversation, we've got four little questions for you. All right. What is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? Oof. Um, I wish I could uh, still collect sneakers. So I used to collect J's. I used to collect different types of Nikes. But um, each time I've tried as an adult to buy these, like, vintage or, or you know, cool shoes, there's some bot that beats me to it <laughs> and it says it's sold out in my size like two seconds and I don't even understand how it works so I just give up yeah <laughs> and the price point just keeps going higher 600 bucks and I'm like there's no way yeah I'm not gonna wear a $600 shoe unless I wrap it in like silicone or something exactly. you know I don't want that thing getting a single scuff mark on it exactly so you you've been all over the map you've visited places you've worked at places you lived in places you've been in different companies you've met uh, a gentleman that you refer to by the name of Zuck Mm-hmm. So you've probably gathered a lot of lessons along your way. Mm-hmm. What are three lessons that have kind of stuck with you? Um, no one owes you anything. That's a good one. Um, show up early, leave late. Um, and you're probably in all likelihood thinking too small. That's good. All three of them. Love them. What is something you love about Baton Rouge? Um, I love our trees. And I love our parks. Um, it is it is one of the most lush cities. Um, I later learned that trees actually have a ton of health benefits. But it's just like really aesthetically pleasing that most windows you look out of here, there's just it's just green. Yeah. Like, you know, year round. And... You take it for granted if this is all you see, but it's a we have a we have a really naturally beautiful city. Yeah, I have seven cypress trees on my little little city lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for better or for worse, they're on the they're on the property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, for the final question, man, what can I do to help you? Um, keep doing what you're doing. Number one, uh, I think. Um, I think less about myself in terms of how you can help or how people can help me. And I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm interested in building a Baton Rouge that, that my kids can be proud of. Um, and uh, it really starts with, with people like you that you have your own family, uh, you have a, a career, but after all that, you're still coming out to, to have important conversations with, with people that are, that are building and, um, I think the thing you could do to help me, uh, which is going to help my kids and other families here, is to just keep doing what you're doing. Um, Because uh, these ideas and conversations plant seeds. Um, And then they start to grow. Because it's it's not just going to be any one person or one mayor or one administration that's going to be the silver bullet for our city. It's it's just going to be 
conversations that are happening at dinner tables because someone heard a podcast or someone, you know, and because um, we, we have a really special opportunity, but it's going to take it's going to take the entire city. Yeah. And we have to come together and acknowledge that we're all going to have to work together in some form or fashion and a little bit at a time mm-hmm. every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to I like to think about getting just one percent better every day. Mm-hmm. And over time, it just starts compounding. And then you look back three, four, five, six, 12 months ago, look at what you were doing and where you were, and then recognize how far you've come within that short period of a time. Mm-hmm. It may not be, you know, mountains of an effect, or it could be, but you've at least grown some, mm-hmm. you know. And so long as we are gradually moving one step in front of the other, I think that's going to be a very important for us. Totally. So thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate your time. Yep, thank you, sir. Appreciate you for bringing your family out here. It's nice to meet them and kind of see them in the studio space. So Absolutely. Thank you again. Sweet. Appreciate and, you. And thank you, everybody else, whether you're watching or listening to the show. I'm very appreciative of it. I know the guests are as well. Look, we are all in it together. I don't know where you're listening to us from, but if you're outside of Baton Rouge and you've always been interested, come on down here. Take a look at our lush city. Take a look at what we got. And if you're already in here, you're in the state, there's so many opportunities around us. It may not be in your city, but it may be in a city 10 miles away. There's no reason necessarily to totally uproot and shift states. Louisiana has so much to offer, Baton Rouge specifically. If you're curious or want to know where to get plugged in, heck, just DM the show. Send us a message and we'll connect you with whom we know. Wherever you are, we've, we're bound to know somebody. So thank you all so very much. And thank you again for the f- amazing folks and businesses here locally that make this show possible each and every week. Hear a little bit more about them right now. Welcome to the brand new Falaya mobile app. We took all the same tech that's helped hundreds of people sell their homes themselves and packed it into an easy to use app for your phone. When you download the Falaya mobile app on either the Apple or Android app store, you'll immediately be able to see the power of this game-changing tool. From the seller's dashboard, you can navigate to all the information that you need. We intentionally separated everything into key groups, such as tasks to be completed, buyer leads for your listing, and contact information for everyone involved through closing. When you get an offer on your property, you can simply review and respond all within the app. No matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to monitor everything that's going on with your property from listed to sold. It's truly the power of Falaya in the palm of your hand. Download the app and see for yourself. Falaya, it's real estate reimagined. Thank you so very much to Building 5 for the, becoming the latest sponsor of the Patty G Show. We are going to be filming once a month at Building 5. We're going to post about it on our socials so you can come and visit with us. Building 5 is an excellent food establishment if you're into sharing boards and really getting a creative menu. Misty and Brumby have done an excellent job of creating an environment that's warm, welcoming, inviting for every single occasion. Go on over to Building 5 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and tell them that the Patty G Show sent you. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away. It's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. 
Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life. Shopping for a car, they're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you, signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening, or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. Simple.